I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Tilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, Bert, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, Gary, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, a few weeks ago, I spoke with Kenny Starmaker Bolin. The interview was released on my Patreon in its video version, but now you're going to be hearing the audio version of said conversation. For those not in the know, Kenny Starmaker Bolin is a retired professional wrestling manager turned political podcaster. In his wrestling career, he worked as a hill or bad guy manager at Ohio Valley Wrestling back when that promotion was a developmental territory for WWE. At that time, OEW produced such future stars as John Cena and Dave Batista among many others. We'll be discussing not only Kenny's time in OVW, but also the wild world of pro wrestling more generally, and the parallels between pro wrestling and politics. We'll also go into some interesting diversions, including, near the end, a little bit of Kenny's experiences with Freemasonry and his struggles with family members who were virulently racist He'll discuss how he escaped that racist world and much, much more. It's a whirlwind conversation, a bit different from what you usually hear on this podcast. It gets a little wild and woolly, and it's an episode that you're not going to want to miss. So without any further ado, let's get right to it with Kenny Starmaker Bolin. Trust me when I say you will be entertained. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm very excited to be speaking with. He is known in the wrestling world as Kenny Starmaker Bolin. 
He has now become a major force in the world of podcasting, and he's the author of the excellent book, I Probably Screwed You Too, The Mostly True Stories of Kenny Starmaker Boleyn. How are you doing? I didn't know you were going to plug the book, but fortunately, I got a few copies here I need to ship out. So the proof, it's, see, it's a real book. It's just not a cover. And, and it's actually a real book. And uh, it's been out now, you know, I think seven years. And yeah, I some still wild get, stories I, in there, too. There, there stories are. about meat packing and uh, a lot of other things. <laughs> not the meat packing you might normally think of either. You might not. <laughs> That's the meat packing I need to be doing today. But um, no, I uh, wrote that book about seven years ago. and But I didn't open it up to the rest of the world till like a year ago. So I still get commissions because people all over the world buy that book for some reason, and I haven't figured out why. But uh, so I still get a, a nice commission check every month from Amazon because it's now it used to be like sold in Canada and the United States, maybe a couple of other countries. But now we've opened it up to all the countries. And every month, you know, we're you know, it's, it's not a drastic amount of money like we were making at the beginning. At the beginning, it was ridiculous how many copies we were selling. Uh, but now I mainly sell them to fans that watch the show. We autograph them, send them out personally, put a few little extras in there. And uh, and then all over the world, they, they order through Amazon, and I get a little piece of that action. It, it adds up to a couple hundred bucks a month, I guess. But after seven years, that's not too bad. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I should mention, uh, if people want to listen to your podcast, it's The Bull and Alley, and I believe it's on YouTube. So, uh, Oh, yeah. yeah the, the Bull and Alley. We're pretty much exclusively on YouTube now. I don't do audio podcast anymore because we were supposed to be making money off from it, but we weren't. Uh, we were never getting a check from Apple or anybody else that claimed they were going to be sending us a check, Amazon. So we killed the audio version. The only way to see us or hear us now is on uh, www.youtube.com forward slash the Bolin Alley. Or you can actually even do at Starmaker Bolin, uh, being as that's my Twitter address. We figured we'd give you two easy ways to find it. And um, I uh, talk about a lot of controversial subjects uh, going back to the days of COVID, going back to the days of Donald Trump. We're very yeah, political. It's, it's show. not just a wrestling podcast. I mean, you it's even not have people, just you've had Mark Cuban on your show, Anthony I've Scaramucci. Anthony Scaramucci has been on nine times. The former White House press secretary, director of uh, transportation or something like that. I forgot what he had before he was the press. He was only press secretary for 11 days. <laughs> I will and, never forget when Scaramucci was on TV and he was asked about Steve Bannon. This is when he became press secretary. Oh, he said something along that, the lines that, of that's like, what got him, that's what got him relieved from his duty. By yeah, the yeah, way. where he's like, oh, Bannon sucks his own dick. You know? Yeah. he but, but Bannon sits around and blows himself all day was more or less the content of what was said. And then he had done my show and was still on good terms with Trump. He even offered to put Trump on my show. I said, that's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, you're too good of a man to be associated with Donald Trump is what I told him. I said, that's the reason you're on the show is what the hell are you doing a line with this guy? I looked up his net worth. He is worth 10 times more than Donald Trump ever hoped to be. He's worth more than Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban's worth about 5 billion. According to what I looked up, Scaramucci and Skybridge Enterprises is worth about 9 billion. He's worth almost twice as much as Mark Cuban. He never brags about it. You never hear him talk about his net worth or what he has. And uh, so Anthony Scaramucci uh, has been on the show nine times, I think more than any other guest, uh, including jackasses. You know, I mean, this, this is big. I mean, he was on CNN the other day with uh, God damn, who was um, one of my favorite guys in the whole world. Um, I quote him all the time. One of the smartest people in the world. 
uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I couldn't come up with his name for a minute. And I wrote him at like midnight. I said, man, I'm sitting here watching you sitting right to the right of you is Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm so goddamn jealous. He says, Kenny, he's just the coolest and nicest man in the world. And then he wrote me at six o'clock in the morning and told me how much fun he had uh, working with Neil deGrasse and talking back. I said, goddamn, I'm sitting here chatting with a guy that's sitting next to Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's a guy I'd love to have on the podcast. And uh, no matter how smart anybody thinks I am, I'm not in that league. Matter of fact, I'm not in Scaramucci's league either. Scaramucci is a brilliant man. Uh, but he calls me smart. So I think that is a, is a hell of a compliment when uh, I, I, I try not to call myself smart. But if someone else wants to say it and it's Anthony Scaramucci, I'll take it and run with it. So I got to ask you, you were a wrestling fan growing up, and I'm pretty sure you were oh, a yeah. fan of uh, the Detroit territory, uh, the Sheik. To a degree, to a degree. I uh, the, Actually, the Detroit product was what i saw first because i used to watch it at my grandpa's house when i was four five six years old in eminence kentucky and they got cincinnati television in eminence in newcastle and in 30 miles down the road you got louisville television so i used to watch the sheik's product on the cincinnati broadcast but once you got into the louisville territory louisville lexington evansville memphis nashville jonesboro tupelo all those various cities that was the southern ghoulish territory so the first stuff i saw was the sheiks and uh and then i was uh, what i got every saturday in my own home network was the memphis territory with jerry the king lawler bill dundee jerry jarrett dutch mantel who i've stayed dear friends with for quite some time just did his podcast recently and it, it went very well brought me probably another thousand subscribers because he's got like eighty six thousand subscribers so uh, it went very well now where are you based out of i'm actually based out of pittsburgh so i'm from like bruno san martino land <laughs> oh yeah yeah bruno bruno territory over there and uh, how did you get affiliation uh, affiliated with dustin duquesne if that is his real name uh, so I got I got uh, to be friends with Dustin through. I his... assumed I assumed I was talking with somebody else from Poland today up until just moments ago. I said, "Well, he don't sound from Poland." So Dustin was the guy. He I became friends with him through a historian by the name of Philip Blood, and uh, I cover a lot of foreign policy and war stuff on this podcast. So that's how I got to know Dustin. Uh, okay. I don't know how he got into wrestling. That would probably make a good conversation with him one day. <laughs> you know, he, he talks to me a lot about it, but I've never really talked to him. As a matter of fact, my podcast used to be when I was audio only, well, not audio only, but an audio option. Apple iTunes sent me notices every week that I was the number two wrestling podcast in Poland, even though the podcast is not strictly about wrestling. It's just an option to talk about. Uh, but when your when your life experience is 32 years of pro wrestling, and then as a fan, another man, 13 years before that, I was I, I became a, a big fan at 14 when I first met Lawler. And then it was 27 before I got in. So 13 years after meeting Jerry Lawler, I finally got in the business. Jimmy got in. Jimmy Cornette got in seven years before I did. I was assuming he was paving the way to get me in because that was the original plan. It didn't work out that way. But fortunately, I bumped into Nick Goulas at a service merchandise in Nashville, Tennessee, and he hired me to uh, be his uh, to book his buildings, be his TV interviewer and TV uh, heel commentator. And because uh, he told me he was going to make me the next Jerry Lawler, I said, well, well we already like have the bad guy commentator. Yeah, yeah, I was the bad guy commentator. I would uh, take the sides of the bad guy no matter what the hell they did. Kind of like 
MAGA fans, those that like Trump, no matter what horrible shit he does, they find something good in it. Well, that was my job as a wrestling announcer. I was the first MAGA announcer to find something good in what the heels were doing. So so I'm curious. If I have younger listeners... And I'm Kenny, are... and it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, curious. So if I have listeners that are younger and are only familiar with like the sort of WWE and, and um, you know, like the Attitude Era and stuff like yeah. that... Uh, mm -hmm. how would you describe the sort of territory days for wrestling? Because it seems like a completely different animal to what well, we have well, even in the well, 90s. The, terri the territory days until the so-called dirt sheets came along, nobody knew what was going on in the other territories unless some fan just happened to be in that territory, came back from vacation and told everybody what they saw, what was going on in the Carolinas or what was going on in Florida or what was going on in Georgia or Oklahoma or Texas or Louisiana or San Francisco, or Oregon, or Detroit, or New York, or the Carolinas. That was just how it was. And when you wore out your welcome in one territory, either due to overexposure, or you did something stupid the promoter didn't like, you always had somewhere else to go. And most people would come in and work the Memphis territory for 6 to 12 weeks, and then they'd be done. They'd go to the next territory. And you might not see them again for one or two years because they would rotate territories. And by the time they came back, it was fresh and they were a big deal. To my uh, thought process is that's what the WWE ruined is that everybody is shoved down your throat. There's main event matches on TV every week. I don't know why idiots buy pay-per-views because all they do is give you what you're seeing on television every week anyway. Every week especially in the WWE, is a main event match or several main event matches. In the days of Memphis television, you got what was called was jobber matches, and that's all you got. And then you might get some type of a little main event at the end of the television show, a reason for you to stay around and hear all the interviews promoting what's going to happen in Louisville or Memphis or Lexington or Tupelo or what what's, whatever city they're promoting. And uh, we, of course, would see the Louisville promos. And uh, and then at the end of the day, you would see some decent little main event match that would be telling a story to lead up or give you a reason to go to the Coliseum on Monday night in Memphis, Tuesday night in Louisville, Wednesday in Evansville, Thursday in Lexington. Friday, I think, was Jonesboro, Arkansas. Saturday was Tupelo, Mississippi. It um, sounds like not, not Saturday was Na excuse me. Saturday was Nashville, Tennessee. But okay. sometimes they would do double shows. Like uh, like Tupelo, Mississippi might have a show that evening. There might be a show that day in Nashville or vice versa. Television would be on Saturdays. And then there would be another show in a major city close to Memphis that night. So you could do TV at 11 o'clock in the morning and then go do a show at 7 or 8 o'clock that night. I was going to say, it sounds like the, the TV show, it sounds like the TV shows were important back then, but it was really about, you know, using the TV show to get you to come to the big event, uh, you know, at the stadium. Yeah. Memphis is the only one that got the live show. They got a live 90-minute television show. We would get the 60-minute edited version the next week. They would record Saturday. We would get it the following Saturday. And then you had to be orchestrated to where what you did in Memphis did not correlate with what was or, or, or did correlate with what they were seeing in the other television audiences because Memphis is the only one that got the live 90-minute show we would get the 60-minute show tailored to ours. So when they would go for breaks and interviews in Memphis, those would be live in-studio interviews. <clears throat> and um, for Louisville, like when Nick Goulas was running it, it would cut to him in a studio 
with him interviewing Jackie Fargo. Tell the fans real quick, Mr. Fargo, what you going to do to Jerry Lawler down there Tuesday night at Louisville Gardens? Because that's kind of how he talked. He was from Birmingham, Alabama. And um, so each city would be tailored to their local interviews. Uh, Evansville, you know, they would get, tell them what's going to happen down at the Evansville Coliseum down there Wednesday night in Evansville. You know, so it was always tailored to each particular city. And like I said, once a wrestler wore out their welcome in six to 12 weeks, or just the fans were sick of seeing that particular storyline, the bounty hunters would go away, or the um, Brute Bernard and the Angel would go away, or the uh, Kurt and Carl Von Bronner, the the Germans would go away. or may, And the Iron Sheik was in Memphis television for quite some time, uh, doing the clubs and all that shit. And he was back and forth, handsome Jimmy Valiant from the New York Territory. He he became a huge star in Memphis. As a matter of fact, Dutch and I were talking about the Mount Rushmore of Memphis wrestling, and it would probably be Jerry the King Lawler, Bill Superstar Dundee, Handsome Jimmy Valiant, Dutch Mantel. That would probably be your four uh, Mount Rushmores of uh, Memphis wrestling. Uh, if it were the Carolinas, it would obviously be Ric Flair. Now, I don't know how much you follow Carolina wrestling, but what do you think it would be after Ric Flair in the Carolinas? You got oh. Tully Blanchard, Ole Anderson. You, uh, if you want to throw in managers, you got J.J. Dillon. You got uh, Dusty Rhodes. So, obviously, the Carolinas would be Dusty Rhodes, who also ran Florida. Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Magnum T.A., maybe. Um, 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 uh, Lex Luger. Uh, right. the, Road yeah. War the Road Warriors as a tag team. The Midnight Express as a tag team. Um, so you got a, the rock and roll express as a tag team, all from the Carolinas and then eventually NWA based out of Atlanta. The, the Carolinas more or less became Atlanta because, uh, TBS signed the deal, but a lot of those big stars came from the Carolinas. And, um, so every territory probably had its Mount Rushmore and that would have been Memphis's because that's the, the territory I was more familiar with in, in the WWE. It would probably be Bruno San Martino, Hulk Hogan. Uh, you would probably now throw in current talent. You'd have to throw in John Cena, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker. Um, and that would probably be uh, The Rock. Well, The Rock came from Memphis. Stone Cold was more or less developed in Memphis. Uh, Kane was developed in Memphis. Diehard Trump supporter, by the way. I'll bitch slap him if I ever see him. Yeah, wasn't wasn't he in Memphis? Wasn't he like the Christmas creature or something? Or is that he was the Christmas on? creature. He gets a lot of grief about that. He was only the Christmas creature once. It only lasted a few hours that he was the Christmas creature, but he gets grief about it still to this day. He was also the Unabomber in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and the Unabomber just passed away a couple of days ago. Yeah, the, yeah. the real the real one, the real one. So uh, so yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy would, would book anything and anybody. Jimmy had Power Rangers in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He he cracks jokes about everybody else's booking, but he had Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles. So, uh, but Memphis did Ninja Turtle too. N Memphis did Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, I think one time Memphis even did Batman. That's where, I mean, they, there was a lot of goofy gimmicks. I'm not even saying well, that Wall, in a bad Wall, way. Waller actually had Adam West on the show, uh, the, the Batman from the original series, and Lawler came out in a Superman outfit. Oh, and really? Adam West wow. and Adam West cuts this promo and always says, let me tell you something, you evil king of Memphis. If you would change your ways and start doing things the right way, using the left and right turn indicator on your car like decent, normal human beings, there might be some hope for you, Mr. Lawler. He says, and I know that you probably align with people that I don't like, like the evil Mr. Freeze. 
the penguin. I'm sure you hang with people like that, but I, but I got some people that need named Robin and the baby faces that would help him. <laughs> but he's that's says, funny was- because you, you hear so much about uh, Andy Kaufman being in Memphis. I didn't know Adam West was there. At one Adam point. West was there long, but, but, but Adam West didn't work the territory like uh, Kaufman did. Kaufman originally wanted to work for WWWF or maybe it was just WWFM. He originally wanted to work for them. And Vince said, no, didn't have any time for it. Lawler catches wind at it has apparently has his people reach out to Kaufman and have, have him get in touch with me. I'd, I'd like to have him down here. So Kaufman goes down there and loves how they treat him. Lawler's a big mark for taxi and all that shit. You know, Lawler loves getting the, the elbow rub. He was thrilled. Vince turned that shit down. And he took it and ran away with it. And then Lawler really hit the map when, because of Kaufman, he's now appearing on the David Letterman show. Well, Jerry Lawler was big in Memphis. There was nobody ever bigger to this day than Jerry the King Lawler in the Memphis territory. But he was never going to be on the David Letterman show without Andy Kaufman. ABC News interviewed Andy Kaufman in the hospital after Jerry Lawler Powell dropped him in Memphis and everybody thought Lawler really killed him. Kaufman worked it so bad that Jerry Jarrett did not want to pay for an ambulance to haul him out of the ring. It was cost like 350 bucks. And he says, get me an ambulance. And they said, no, Jarrett's not going to pay for an ambulance. That's all right. I'll pay for it. Get me an ambulance. Kaufman had a shitload of money. He wasn't worried about 350 bucks. He wasn't even worried about getting paid. And, uh, as a matter of fact, I hear his pay was rather minimal and that when he died, they found tons of uncashed checks, uh, in his possession, uh, through whoever his care caregiver was that uh, he didn't cash many of the Memphis checks, thousands of dollars. He never cashed, but um, which I'm sure Jarrett was appreciative of because it never gave out of his bank account. But Andy Kaufman paid for the ambulance that hauled him out of the ring. And then that happened on a, uh, Monday night. And then the following uh, Tuesday on ABC news, they're interviewing Andy Kaufman with a goddamn neck brace on. Uh, interviewing him about what Jerry Lawler did to him. And everybody in, in the world thought that that match was real, except me and Cornette and a handful of others who knew what was going on. It, we were never told what was going on, but to us, it was common sense. And if we'd have told Lawler we knew what was going on, he'd have been pissed. So, so even, you, even some of the people working uh, in the territories wouldn't know everything that was going on or how everything was well, being booked. I would say they knew it was a work. But how much Kaufman was selling it, no one knew. Did Lawler accidentally fuck him up? And I doubt Lawler and Kaufman smartened anybody up. We were never actually smartened up. They they didn't smarten everybody up till they did the movie. And then when they did the movie, a lot of what really happened came out. Yeah, the man on the moon with uh, Jim Carrey. Man on yeah. the moon. And uh, so so because of Kaufman, not only does Lawler make the David Letterman show and gets to meet... Uh, 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 what was the comedian's name? Um, Rodney Dangerfield. He's now in a fucking movie because of Andy Kaufman. So Andy Kaufman put Lawler on the worldwide map to give the WWE a reason to be interested in Jerry Lawler. Why do you think the Andy Kaufman Jerry Lawler feud, like, like, why was that so? Why did it resonate with people? Or what what made it so successful? Because it was Hollywood invading wrestling, much like Cindy Lauper did. You notice Vince didn't pass up on the Cindy Lauper thing after he saw what happened. God damn, you going you gonna smoke a pack today? What do you got going on over there? I, you, I have a bad habit. Tw- 
You're going to do all 12. That is a bad habit. You're going to do all 20 right here on the show. You're passing my mother's record. My mother, I think, did 20 in a day once. Shut up, Chuggo. But the reason it was so big is because it was Hollywood infiltrates wrestling. Because wrestling was always... Around the 70s, you still had a 50-50 audience that thought it was real or not. I remember when I worked at Kroger, I was 20, God, 20, uh, 19 to 23, 19 to 24, five years. And I had been smart to the business since I was 14 years old. I'm now 10 years older, and I'm very smart to the business from hanging around everybody that's in it. And still, 60 to 70% of Kroger thought wrestling was real. 30%, oh, that fake stuff. And then you could convince them either way you wanted that it was real or that. And so then when they say, well, Kenny, is that stuff fake? Yeah, yeah, it's all fake. It's all work. No, no, not that Tojo Yamamoto. That Tojo shit's real, right? Yeah, well, the Tojo shit's real. What about Jackie Fargo? It's it's interesting what I've always heard from people like my dad or, you know, you know, older people I've talked to at bars when I bartended is uh, you would always have the one guy like in Pittsburgh, it was. Yeah, all that other stuff may be BS, but Bruno was real. Bruno the stuff was with real. Stan yeah. Hansen was real. That's what I always yeah. hear. Stan Hansen. Yeah, I I got that argument about Stan Hansen the other day. They said Stan Hansen could whip Brock Lesnar. I said, you know what? I never met Stan Hansen in person. I've seen a lot of his videos. I said, let me give you let me give you a little story. Stan Hansen. Now, this is my opinion. I mean, we wouldn't know unless they fought each other, and the age differences are pretty dramatic. I said Brock Lesnar because I I was in on the the development of Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar would destroy Stan Hansen in a real fight. Stan might be tough. Stan might be a badass in any bar in the country. But Brock Lesnar is another fucking animal. And me and Brock did not get along. I'm not saying this because I love and blow Brock Lesnar. That That's far from the case. I used to root for him to get beat in MMA fights uh, because I didn't like him. But Brock is another fucking beast. And there's two people that in a shoot fight, three people, I think Stan Hansen would have, a, and all three were developed by OVW, and that's just, and that's because I know them. Stan Hansen would not have had a fucking prayer against Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, or Mark Henry. That's just three. There might be more, but those are the three that stand out. That Stan Hansen might be tough against a bunch of drunken white guys in a bar somewhere, but Stan Hansen ain't gonna do shit to those three. Now they might be respectful. Oh no, Stan. Stan would have given me all I want. Well, he might have, but you'd have beat his ass in the end. Uh, but that's my personal opinion. I've never heard what Cornette would ever say about that. Jimmy was a big Stan Hansen fan, and we enjoyed watching Stan Hansen's shit in Japan. But these are three legit badasses. Three people you don't want to fuck with are Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, and uh, and Mark Henry. Probably still to this day, you don't want to fuck with any of the three of them. So, so it's and interesting I, what you what you said there uh, earlier was that, you know, people would be split on whether it was, you know, quote unquote, real or, or fake. Let me give uh, you the quote. That, let me give you the quote that gorgeous George said back in it was probably the 50s or 60s to those who think wrestling is real. No answer is necessary for those that don't. No answer will do. And he proved it because, yeah, wrestling's fake. And, and and if you got somebody in the business, and I wasn't quite in the business yet, so I could say that. Kenny, is that wrestling fake? Yeah, it's all fake shit. And then I just grin at him. Yeah, yeah, but not Tojo. Not Tojo stuff. No, no, not not Tojo. What about Jackie Fargo? Oh, his shit was real. What about Jerry Lawler? Eh, half and half, you know. What about Bill he, Dundee? Oh, all his shit was fake. 
Do you think so, there were were there people back then that maybe they knew it was a work, but they still watched it, or they still would go to the course. shows just for the entertainment? Okay. Yeah, for the entertainment. Fuck, me and Cornette were two of them. But listen to this shit, and Jimmy can lie about it all he wants. Jimmy Cornette, the day he got in the business, still thought world title matches were real. And I said, Jimmy, those would be the one matches you have to work because you can't book a world title match in Tokyo, have the motherfucker wrestle in, in Bombay, India the night before, and lose the belt because now we don't have a world title match in Tokyo. And we've misadvertised the goddamn show or in San Francisco or where I said, those are the ones that have to be a work. And any agreement, they win the title and nobody can beat them for seven years. B blow me. Stop it. It's ridiculous. But he thought the world title matches were real. The day he got in the business, he also didn't know what go home meant. I thought common sense would tell you go home. I figured that would mean in the match. Jimmy didn't know. So. All kinds of things to learn. My watchdogs, they don't let anybody get near me. These podcasts are live for everybody on Cherokee Road. <laughs> so they so how did you meet? the building you, when I talk politics. You mentioned. Oh, but, but, but back okay. to your original question of um, why the Kaufman thing was so big. Taxi was fucking huge. Everybody in America knew who Taxi was. Everybody knew who Andy Kaufman was because Andy Kaufman worked everybody on Saturday Night Live. Everybody thought he was a mental weirdo. And he never came out of character. And he then was a worker Bob's, even outside of wrestling. Yes, he was a worker. He he was made for the fucking wrestling business. He was made to be a wrestling manager, but he wanted to be a wrestler. He would have been the greatest wrestling manager of all time if that's what he wanted to do. Jimmy Hart and Jimmy Cornette would have not had jobs in Memphis if Andy Kaufman decided he wanted to be a wrestling manager because that's what he was built for. But the ridiculousness of it is thinking that he could put on long johns with black shorts over his long johns and that he could beat the king of Memphis, Jerry, the King Lawler, the, 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 but, but he mainly wanted to wrestle women and Lawler had to come to the defense of the women and he would take on fat women and he would tell them how fat they were and that they need to get back in the kitchen and make babies and be barefoot. All of this shit. You can't even remotely say on a podcast or a television show today, Andy Kaufman said on Memphis television. So Jerry Lawler, who had been a career heel, is now the babyface. I'm, I'm guessing 77 or 78 maybe when this came out. Could be as late as 79. I don't remember the exact years. It was definitely after 77. And um, and then here comes Jerry Lawler, the babyface of Memphis, to save the day to defend all the women. And he mainly went and he beat every woman that he ever wrestled. And, of course, those were work, too. A lot of people thought the women matches were shoot matches. I'm not going to say there wasn't one or two shoot matches with little skinny women, but there's a couple of big women there that could have beat, could have beat his ass. <laughs> and, uh, cause uh, Coffin was not a tough guy. And, uh, but it was just, and then Vince McMahon saw how successful that was and that he fucked up by not bringing Andy Kaufman into the WWE, but there and, was such And is that maybe why he started doing the rock and wrestling thing? And that's when Cindy the rock Lauper. and wrestling thing happened with Can with, with Captain Lou Albano and Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper was his Andy Kaufman. And it, and it worked. Because now Captain Lou Albano is on fucking MTV music videos to lure the um, young audience to the WWE. And Cindy Lauper is showing up on WWE television. And I guarantee you, Lawler wouldn't mind having Cindy Lauper work some Memphis shows either. I don't know that she ever, I don't think she ever did. But uh, no, and, and it was a great marriage. Anytime you can get musicians and actors involved in a wrestling show, one way or the other, 
And we in Louisville, we would take local celebrities, local news guys, radio DJs. We may, we had all the local radio DJs involved in Ohio Valley Wrestling because they would plug our shit for free on radio every goddamn day because they were going to be on the show. And when you got uh, Clear Channel Radio, which has like 11 stations in town, and you're getting plugged on whoever's listening to a radio, they're going to be on one of those 11 stations. And you're having to hear that Kenny Boland's going to be managing Rico Constantino against Donna Daring and um, Cowdy Calhoun or whoever the fucking DJ is. Cowdy Calhoun was the first to do it. He wrestled Jerry Lawler in the Louisville Gardens. And that was in 1976. And I was the one who gave Cowdy the idea to do that. And still to this day, I get credit for being the one that, uh, and me and Jimmy didn't even know each other real well back then. Might've been even 75, 75 or 76, but, but Cowdy Calhoun, uh, local DJ still doing well, uh, li lives here in Louisville. I think he's retired from radio, but he still looks pretty good. Wears a wig though. And I hope he sees this show because not everyone knows he does, but I think common sense is kicking in Cowdy change the wig. And, um, but Cowdy Calhoun wrestled Jerry Lawler at the Louisville Gardens, and that started the DJ shit. It had never been done before. A lot of times we got local disc jockeys to be the ring announcers because they would have a reason to plug the Louisville Gardens show if Bob Moody uh, or uh, Cowdy Calhoun or whoever's involved. Bob Moody was the main one we had. Bill, uh, Bill Cunningham in Cincinnati used to promote a lot of wrestling. Bill Cunningham was a god in, in Cincinnati. Now he's a national guy. I think he even had a national TV show for a little while. But now anytime you can bring somebody in from a spectrum other than your wrestling audience to expand that audience and give them a reason to watch, it's a great idea. And uh, Vince fucked up the first time, but he didn't fuck up the second time. And but, now they live for that shit. They're always bringing in YouTube people and Hollywood people. Well, now it's constant. Pete Rose, you know. for crying out loud, feuding with Kane and the San Diego chicken. Right, right. Yeah. So, so the other thing I think when you talk about that era of wrestling, I think people don't realize, I mean, it was big within these territories. You know, I'm in Florida right now, even though I'm initially Memphis, from Pittsburgh. Memphis was probably the biggest because they were the smartest at how to run the territories. Dallas was huge. Louisiana uh, running the Superdome once a month was huge. I remember Jimmy Cornette being put into a diaper and made to suck a bottle. Uh, I hope it was a bottle. In uh, yeah, Louisiana the at the Superdome. Uh, Florida. Yeah, Ed, that's what I, I mentioned Florida because Eddie Graham, there's still people I know in, in Florida that, you know, you mentioned Eddie Graham and they're like, oh, yeah, Florida wrestling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eddie Graham, Dusty Rose was down there, Ray Candy, because uh, I used to live in Florida and I was disappointed at how good Florida wrestling was because I always heard that it was as good or better than Memphis. I didn't think so because I thought the stories were much better in Memphis. The storylines were incredible in Memphis, and Jerry Jarrett had a lot to do with that. Jerry Lawler had a lot to do with that. Ray Candy was, uh, when I would watch Florida wrestling, that is basically what Atlanta and WTBS became. What I saw in Florida is what I saw in Atlanta. And that was those at-the-desk promos, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, Ric Flair, J.J. Dillon, whomever. And that's a lot of what Florida was. Now, I didn't see much of Eddie Graham. I, I watched a lot of Florida wrestling God, 74, 75, 76, 77, when I was going back and forth to Tampa quite a bit. Uh, I don't remember seeing much of Eddie Graham, so I couldn't tell you even a lot about him because I was not a fan of Eddie Graham. But, I mean, so at the time, uh, 
you know, what were the audiences like? Like how many uh, people usually came to these oh, shows? Well, I'll, I'll tell you real quick. Memphis, Memphis was a sellout every Monday night. It was, I think capacity was 11,900 and they put 12. That's the 13th cigarette, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there would be God uh, capacity was 11,900. It wouldn't be anything to have 12,500 in the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum standing room only most every fucking Monday night. Now there were times the territory was down and would not do as good, but when the territory was up, a sellout in Memphis would be nothing. Louisville gardens capacity was roughly 5,000. They had squeezed as many as 6,600 in there in a 5,000 seat building, 1600 people standing up. It was so, it was such a draw in Louisville to go to the Louisville gardens and watch wrestling. If you didn't have, see, I, I I could not afford ringside seats a week in advance. I, I I didn't have that luxury. They were, believe it or not, they were either four fifty a seat or six fifty a seat. But you could get general admission for two fifty, half fucking price, a third of the price if it was six fifty. So Cornette and his mother had front row seats, and then when he and I became friends, he was photographer. He gave me his front row seats, and I could and I could bring my girlfriend. So her and I had front row seats. We didn't even have to pay for. It. We'd walk through the back. Didn't even have to pay the general admission. Uh, my girlfriend at that time was named Lisa Mudd, which some of the wrestlers had a fascination for her, and she was only 16. We won't get into that today. Um, but fortunately, she behaved herself. Um, but yeah, uh, five. But you'd have to get to the building two hours early to stand in line for the gates to open at 6 for a match that's starting at 8. So we'd have to get down there at 4 or 5 o'clock standing line for the gates to open at six buy our general admission ticket and hope to be the first in the building because eventually they'd have to cut it off and it would be a turnaway crowd and uh evansville evansville didn't draw quite as good as louisville and memphis but it drew pretty good it'd be nothing to have three or four thousand in evansville rupp arena was only once a month it held twenty four thousand people they'd cut they'd curtain it in half and they averaged about nine thousand people at rupp arena once a month on a thursday night and um the 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 Jonesboro, Arkansas, and Tupelo, Mississippi, two or three thousand people uh, every Friday and Saturday night. Because about all the building would hold, you know, they, they didn't have the big coliseums in a lot of these places, so uh, they would sell out every fucking city they went to. The Carolinas, I understand, did extremely well for quite some time. So, out of curiosity, when it comes to bringing well, in you a know crowd, they killed the cat along with thirteen cigarettes in one show. Uh, curiosity and cigarettes, they will both kill you. Be careful. Uh, so how old are you anyway? I'm 30. You want to see 35? You slow up those goddamn okay. cigarettes I, a little bit. I will not smoke any more cigarettes on this episode. Uh, I don't care. It ain't killing me. <laughs> <laughs> so then it, here's the thing. Uh, oh, you got a Razor Ramon. You know, I never know you had a Razor Ramon shirt on. I am wearing a Razor Ramon shirt. There you yes. go. The big, uh, the Razor Ramon, uh, too too sweet that's what it was yeah he he was a hell of a character uh you know if i met him it was briefly i met almost everybody from that era but if i met razor it was very very i met kevin nash uh hell nash and luger got my son and me into the cincinnati monday night raw uh after we met him at the louisville gardens and kevin and lex luger remembered me from the atlanta days when i used to be down there with Cornette. And but I don't recall having much of an interaction with Razor Ramon. Uh, I'm disappointed about that. I'm sure Jimmy did, though. I'm sure they they had quite a few interactions. <laughs> so I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ohio Valley wrestling. But before we do that, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, when it comes to bringing in a crowd, selling the tickets. 
Who yeah. is more important? Uh, is it the baby face, the good guy, or is it the heel that really brings in the it's crowd? It's the heel. It's the okay. heel, and I'll tell you why. Because if you book two of the biggest baby faces in the territory to face each other, no one gives a shit because they're both liked. Not that they won't draw, but they're not going to draw like the heel. What puts asses in seats is a baby face that tells the story of how he's going to whip the heel's ass. And then the heel tells the story about baby face. You ain't got a fucking chance. You can show up down there Tuesday night, but what I'm going to do to you shouldn't be televised. Don't bring any cameras. Don't let news people into the facility because what's going to happen shouldn't be televised. The blood is going to be too much. Bones breaking ain't going to be great for kids to see. Keep away. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't let anybody in. We should make this an empty Coliseum match. I don't think one living human being should see what I'm going to do to build Dundee Tuesday night at the Louisville Gardens. That's what I'm promising you. So if you want to bring your kids, it's on you. If you want to see the blood, the broken bones, the mayhem, that's on you. But that's what I'm going to do to you, Bill Dundee, if you show up down there Tuesday night. It, it's, it should not be televised. Don't bring a film crew or, or something to that nature. So now you've told us, oh, shit, they're going to fucking break bones. They're going to be blood. Well, they're not going to do that to my Bill Dundee. I'm going to buy a ticket and see Ed Bolin and his guys get their fucking ass whipped. That's what puts the asses in seats is great heels. Takes a great baby face to help draw it. But the heels and baby face is telling the story is what puts the asses in seats. So have you ever seen, I've always heard stories from the territory days that some fans were so into it that they would like try to help the baby face out and maybe hit the hill. Have you ever witnessed something like that? It happened almost every Tuesday night at the Louisville Gardens. Many of the times it was some old lady that would take her 10 minutes to get in the ring. And she had the biggest purse in the fucking world with her. And you didn't want to try to stop her because you didn't want to be the one to hurt her or cause a heart attack. So the police were reluctant to stop her. So many times she got in the ring and then once she got in the ring, the baby face would try to calm her down and the referee would try to calm her down. And then there was another guy. Oh God. Buck razor. I, my brother, I didn't meet my brother till I was 19 years old. And he wanted to know what all this wrestling was about that I was going to every Tuesday night. I said, well, you ought to go with me. So we go and I don't, I don't take my girlfriend goes, but she wanders around with her friends. And I let my brother have our other front row seat that Cornette made available for me. So me and my brother are sitting in the front row and he's having a good old time. And some old coot motherfucker jumps in the ring at the end of the night to try to attack Jerry Lawler. And my brother's laughing. He's hysterical. Oh my God, it's true. It's true. He says, do you know who that old son bitch is? I said, no, no. Who has it? He tries to get in the ring every week. He said, that's my uncle Buck. I said, who? That's Buck Razor, man. He's always telling us that he gets in the ring and fucks these guys up. He said he hadn't told the story. He said he's the only one getting fucked. I said he gets fucked up every week. I said every week they throw him out. Every week like idiots, they let him back in. And every week he tries to get in the goddamn ring. Sometimes they stop him before he makes it. Sometimes he gets in and then they all beat the shit out of him. I said, so that's your uncle. He said, God damn it, man. My, my brother's just this country is all get out. And he's just freaking out that uh, that his his uncle Buck was actually telling the truth because he told him he'd get in the ring and nobody believed him. I said, no, no, he I can vouch for him. Every week he tries, drunk as a fucking skunk, and, uh, and but, but every week because he wasn't gonna hurt nobody, you know. Uh, well, I guess I guess if he landed a couple of haymakers, he could do some damage. But the wrestlers weren't too worried about him. 
And, and and once they beat the shit out of him, it told the rest of the fans, keep your fucking ass out of the ring. Because even the baby faces would get in some shots to make sure you thought twice about coming back in the ring. I've watched a fan get in the ring on uh, Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler in a match. And Jarrett was helping uh, the heels get the baby face out of the ring. And they fucked him up. And that's on that's on video. That that's I'm sure you can find out on YouTube. Jerry Jerry Jarrett Jerry Lawler, I think uh, Jimmy Hart was involved. And uh, let me see if that's a hotel or not. Uh, all right, we'll just hang up. It's probably a telemarketing call. I have to leave the line open in case one of my hotels calls me. <laughs> so you were how saying we Jimmy on, Hart? How are we looking on time? How long have we been on here? Uh, like 45 minutes feels like four hours. Go ahead. <laughs> well, so I wanted to ask, so maybe you could tell my listeners about your time in Ohio Valley wrestling, which for people that don't know, that's the, uh, it was sort of the feeder slash developmental promotion for WWE. And you yeah. were, you, you know, you were basically helping develop some big stars at the time, John yeah. Cena, Rene Dupre, uh, you know, I Rico Constantino, who I, I love Rico. What's Rico, that? I talk to Rico. I talk to almost every day on Facebook. Uh, keep up with him with his police business going on out in Las Vegas. Rene Dupree, I was just on his show the other day. But as a matter of fact, on my show tomorrow night, I don't know when. When does this show air? Uh, this will be out either today or tomorrow. Today or tomorrow. Well, Tuesday night on my show, nine oh five p.m. Eastern, I will reunite Gene Snitsky and Mike Mondo. Mike Mondo with the Spirit Squad. Gene Snitsky of uh, the guy that killed Lita's baby fame. Uh, we'll be reunited for the first time on my show tomorrow night at 9.05 p.m. Eastern time. That will be a fun show. It is members only, YouTube members only. You have to be a YouTube member because that's how we keep the trolls out of the show. If you want to troll me, you're going to have to pay $2.99 or $6.99 to do it. Uh, but that's how you see the show tomorrow night. Uh, we've been members only for the past several shows. For chat, anybody can watch it. But if you want to chat and interact, you're going to pay. That's the rules. Or make a donation uh, to help our, feed our Filipino families, which I have already sent out a few checks today, not checks, but PayPal payments, uh, to help Filipino families get rice and various things that they need to make their lives a little bit easier. So uh, what was the question? So, uh, yeah, Rene Dupree, I managed him and Sylvan Grenier, who I think they're doing a watch along tonight on their show. I uh, managed both of them. I managed uh, Bobby Lashley. Um uh, feuded with Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, um, managed you were Mark sort Henry. of, uh, you were sort of like the main hill, you know, as the manager of Bullen services. Well, so. well to, to give you a comparison, I, in the 10 years that I trained and developed WWE bad guys, I sent 54 people to the WWE. The only other real manager that was there was Jimmy Cornette's wife, sin. And she sent one and his name was Batista. And I said, well, you can have him and I'll take the 54 I got. How's that? So uh, so I was pretty good at what I did. But in all fairness, it was kind of designed that that was Stacy's team, you know, Sin. That was kind of her team. I was bringing in just about all the new talent. And as they got called up, the faster they got called up, the faster I had new talent I had to work with. So, but they figured out very early that the way to make it to the WWE is that you either wanted to be in Bowling Services or you need to be feuding with Bowling Services. And that's how you got there because they knew that that would be the main event. They knew that's what would be on television and they knew that's what the agents were watching. So the minute they came in, these guys, they would all be begging to be in my group. 
And if they couldn't get in my group, they wanted to be feuding with my group. And that's how you got there. So what what was it about balloon services? Uh, by, by, the way, so the, well? the, the, by the way, the first one to ever get called up was Bull Buchanan. Uh, right. Who, yeah, yeah. Who, who got linked up with John Cena there for quite some time. When John Cena went up, they were kind of that thug tag team and were heels when they first went up. And then uh, Cena eventually was uh, kind of a tweener and then a baby face. And now half the arena hates him, half of them love him. The girls love him, the men hate him. And uh, so why did it work? Because I was real fucking good at my job is about the best way I can tell you. Um, there's not too many people in the business today, past or present, that can cut a promo as good as me. Still to this day at age 63, if I need to tell I mean, a story. You're still and get, cutting promos. <laughs> and, still, and still getting people pissed at me. And I love when I do other people's podcasts like Dutch Mantel or Rene Dupree's. I like being the bad guy who pisses their fans off because they get enough of this kiss ass shit all the time. I, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm not going to go over and kiss because Dutch said, well, when you come on the show, make sure to put me over. I said, yeah, right. So I go over there and just give Dutch shit and his co-host shit, talk shit about his fans. And I'm just kind of reliving my old days of, uh, and they don't get it. They think that I'm really that fucking asshole. They don't realize that I'm playing a part on a podcast to a degree. Sometimes I really feel that way. But, um, no, I was real good at my job at telling the stories. Now, did Cena need to be with me? Being a part of the group didn't hurt him any. As a matter of fact, Vince McMahon did not get John Cena and wanted to let him go. Rico was let go for 90 days. Stone Cold Steve Austin had worked with us at the Louisville Gardens. I said, man, this Rico guy's got something, man. Said, you're going to release him? You're going to pay him for 90 days anyway? Bring him up. Let him show you what he can do with us for 90 days. And then if you still want to get rid of him, get rid of him. But give him a chance. So Rico went up and he stayed with the company for five years. Uh, John Cena, they never even told him he was on the chopping block. I don't even know if he believes the story when I tell it. But John Cena was on the chopping block. Vince McMahon didn't get it. And he really? was. Uh, oh, yeah. Cena was as good a promo. But if Vince don't get it, you're fucked. That's why Sean O'Hare didn't make it. Sean O'Hare went up with that great gimmick. Is that I'm not telling you anything you don't already know when he was standing up against corporate entities and. And political yeah, Sean O'Hare had that incredible look. He was very oh, agile yeah. too. He was incredible oh, and just no, it did not work no. out. And it didn't work out because Vince didn't get it. If someone else, if Triple H had been in charge of uh like like he's been with a lot of the NXT guys, if Triple H had been in charge, Sean O'Hare would have been one of the biggest stars in the company, without a doubt. And uh but Vince didn't get it, so he went away. And then eventually Sean committed suicide. Which was very John sad. John Cena's uh, he, he, John Cena was uh, the prototype in OVW, right? Yeah, he was prototype because that's what they called him when Rick Bassman had him in California, and John played a robot. Well, we didn't want a fucking robot, so we let him keep the name prototype because he was going to be Jesus Christ. Uh. We're just going to let that one ring because I don't know where the hell that's from so they can leave a voicemail. But uh, so I apologize for that. But business is business. So I'll no just problem. let them leave a voicemail. Uh, so um, we let him keep the name prototype because he was going to be the prototype for Rico. Rico was developing the next Rico Constantino. And Rico, I think, got called up before Cena. It was pretty close. But the punishment for leaving OVW is that you had to lose to me in a match. And loser leave town matches. Doggies, please behave. They got their they got their eye on somebody out there. 
I hope they don't get through the window and eat somebody alive. Choco, Choco, come here. You want to say hi? Come here. Come here, Choco. Come on. Aw, doggy cameo. Come, come here, Choco. Come on, come on. Up, up. Choco, come. Come, come. Don't be, don't be, don't be a little bitch. She's being a little bit. Any other time she jumped right up, but she knows it. Scooby, you come up and say hi. Come here, Scooby. There's Scooby. Aww. He say hi. Because he's big boy. He's big dog. <laughs> he's goofy. And uh, you'll see him wandering around in the back. Two cows also around here. Two cows, my Labrador. Scooby is half Great Ding, half Boxer. And Choco is a little uh, pit. Aww. Little A little shit pit is what I call her. Hi, Choco. You want to come say hi? You want to come say hi? Come here. No? Okay. All right. Any other time so, should be right up here. So, so when you're working in Kentucky and OVW, uh, what's the quickest way to like piss off the fans and get the heat you need uh, for the the wrestlers you're managing? Insult their intelligence. Uh, it always works, and uh, let them know that you're smarter than they are. You're better than they are. You sm- certainly smell better than they do, and that's always been the go-to that Cornette, myself, and Jerry Lawler, and various others have used is to insult their intelligence, their smell, their heritage, their family, where they come from, their particular part of the city, how poor they are compared to you, shit like that. You know, just just the old school shit. And always let them know that you're dramatically smarter than they are. You're an uneducated moron sitting in your goddamn seat that you paid your $8 for or 12 or whatever you paid. Listen to me. That's why you're here. You pay to come see me. I don't co- I don't pay to come here to see you. You're here to get an education. Allow me to educate you. You're stupid. You're a fool. You're a moron. You're a goof. You probably didn't graduate high school. Your parents probably didn't graduate. You're not very smart people. So if you focus on me, the person that you paid money to come see, you'll be a better person at the end of the day. You will leave here a little bit smarter. Probably not much because I think there's only so much a little pea brains can comprehend, but you'll be a little smarter and you can actually maybe succeed in society. I doubt it, but we're going to give you a fighting chance. Just shut up and listen to me. Something similar to that. Something similar. Who was your your favorite person to work with when it came to, you know, the various managers? Yeah. Well, to manage, Rico and I got along tremendously well. We knew exactly how to use each other. Cena almost counteracted what I was out there for because he would try to get laughs from the crowd by insulting me, talking about, well, this place has an all-you-can-eat buffet. Well, King, I'd love to take you to SmackDown with me, but the, the the flights, they're so snug. I don't think a man of your girth will be comfortable on the plane. Oh, the catering, you would, you would hate it. They make you eat vegetables, King. It's shit like that. And uh, so he almost counteracted what I was out there with him for because he would try to get laughs. And that's not normally what a heel does, but, you know, I I guess it worked for what he was trying to do. Um, But to work with, to work against, God. Well, my favorite one that I got to work with was Stone Cold Steve Austin because he was the hottest goddamn ticket on the planet. And we're in the ring with him. And I didn't even talk that night because it was all Rico and Stone Cold. The, The goal was to get Rico over because we knew that they were about to let him go. And Stone Cold saved his career. And uh, he went to Stephanie and battled for his job. And me and Cornette and Danny Davis put our two cents worth in. And Stone Cold said, you know, give him, give him the 90 days. To work against, who would have been the favorite ones to work against? You know what? Uh, when the when John Cena and Rico and myself worked against Sin, Leviathan, and uh, and, the, and and her demons, which was, um, God, I'm blanking out on their names right now. They're going to be pissed because I worked for them forever. 
but but her group is the only group really that she had. Yeah, her group was that that was the sort of uh Kevin Sullivan Army of Darkness type gimmick that they were it doing. Kind of, with that. kind of the yeah. same thing. Kind of the same thing. So Jimmy had predicted that they were going to outheal us, that the fans were going to boo them and cheer for Rico and Cena because they're good looking guys. And you can talk good. So they're going to pick you. They're going to, you're going to be the baby face. I said, I don't think so. I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I'm not going out there to be the baby face. I said, so you let her be her best heel. I'm going to be my best heel. And if the fans pick us, so be it. I'm telling you right now, they ain't going to pick us. Jimmy was convinced they would. He can lie about it all he wants because uh, people, Cena knows and Rico knows that they thought we were going to be the baby faces. They hated us with a fucking passion. It was probably 90% for rooting for sin and, and Leviathan. And because they like Leviathan, uh, the, the big freak. And we knew how to do promos to make them the baby faces. They didn't know how to do promos to make us the heels. So Rico, Cena, and myself, all three were pretty good, especially me and Cena. Rico got better as time went on. and uh, but, but Rico, Cena, and myself were three entirely different promos. So it's really not fair to say who was good or great or whatever. Obviously, Cena was great without a doubt. Um, but it was three entirely different promos telling three entirely different stories. And they just did not know how to outheal us on promos. So it's 90% for Sin and in her group, 10% for us if we were lucky, probably not even that much. And we had to make Jimmy eat his words because he thought he was going to make us the baby faces, and it did not work that way. But they they were a lot of fun to work with, mainly because we flipped the script on what they thought they were going to do with us. I see. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I always thought Rico was very underrated. Because I, I think well, he initially obviously. came out of. Um... Yeah, he only had twelve matches under his belt when he showed up with us, and he oh, really? was, and he was thirty nine years old when he got to OVW. They thought yeah, he yeah. was twenty five. I thought he was twenty five. He always called me dad, and I'm, and then I found out he was a year younger than me. Dougies. Oh, they're being yeah, so. I, I was going to say about Rico. I mean, I think he came out of like American Gladiators, and I've actually, I've even seen him in a few like low budget nineties movies. Uh, so, like, I mean, he has a good knack for, you know, just um, getting over and, and performing. Everything you just said bleeped and cut out. I, I don't know whose Internet it is causing that, but uh, you're going to have to repeat everything you just said. Oh, my apologies. I was saying, uh, you know, Rico came out of, I think, American Gladiators. I even yes. he's in a few low budget 90s movies that I've seen, too. And he's just a natural performer is what I was getting at. Yes. Very underrated performer, too. And and knows his shit. He used to be a bodyguard for uh, Benny Hinn. He don't even like to talk about that, that history. Wait, the televangelist, dude? Or No, yes. no, no, no. Okay. No, yeah. Well, no, no. Benny, Benny Hinn, I don't know if he was much of a tele, but he, he was kind of an evil guy. And Rico was hired to be his bodyguard. And he doesn't even know. No, uh, God, I'm trying to think of who you're thinking of. Hey, Google. Who was Benny Hinn? According to Wikipedia, Tufik Benedictus Hinn is an Israeli Christian televangelist. Okay. I guess that's what he was. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, he was a televangelist. Okay, I, I, okay. so I was right I, he, the first time. I know, I know, I know Rico did not like to talk about his, his work with him. And um, I guess because the, there's apparently some evil shit going on for a televangelist. Maybe that's why he didn't want to talk about it. But, but Rico was also on that squad that would rip telephone books in half and shit like that. The power team, Rico was on that as well. 
And I think that's how Benny Hinn found Rico. But yeah, he was his bodyguard for quite some time. And, and he was an Israeli televangelist on top of that. Right, right. So then uh, more recently, sort of, you know, you still do the uh, podcasts dealing with wrestling, uh, but you're also talking about politics now. I'm curious. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I know. As a matter of fact, Trump I was led to believe that you mainly wanted to talk about politics today. Due well, to... I, I wanted to talk about politics at the end here, especially no, because well, I think fine. we can tie it all together. Right. Oh, well, I, I've always wondered. What it's you it's think. always heels and faces, no matter what. Politics well, that, that's what I was going to get at. How much of wrestling and politics, uh, you know, what are the similarities there? Because to me, well, that, well, Trump is like the ultimate heel and he plays into it, too. Well, thanks to Trump uh, having some exposure to wrestling and people in wrestling can't get over that. I don't like Trump because they said, well, he's just doing what we do. I said, no, because we play crooks and he is one. That's the difference. Trump is a crook. He's a lifelong crook. Most of us in the wrestling business are not rapists and child molesters and all the things that not only has he been accused of many, many times, he has 12, 12 pending court cases for sexual assault, was just found guilty for sexual misconduct and uh, lying and, and just all, they didn't get him for rape, but sexual abuse. One to me seems to line up with the other. You can, uh, no, no one has taken me to court and filed sexual abuse charges on me, and they won't because that's not who I am. He has a history of it. He's been doing it since the 70s. He groped two women at a WWE show that I was at, but has pending charges on it. So no, he's not playing a bad guy. He is a bad guy. When you get caught with documents and you're bragging about you've got information about how to defeat uh, Iran's enemies and how, and what our vulnerabilities are, and you possess these after you've left the presidency, you've been told to turn them over and you don't, you are a bad guy. You're not playing one, you are one. He picked up a, maybe a little bit of promo skills and talking, talking shit about women, you know, well, decent people don't do that shit. You don't even do it in wrestling anymore. Not even a wrestler can call another female wrestler fat or ugly or you're not attractive. You you can't even do that anymore. So he's doing the shit that wrestlers used to try to do by insulting women's appearances, um, especially black women. Okay, so now we got that going for us. So I don't know what your opinions are on Trump, but I know him. I've met him three times. He is a disgusting piece of shit. He's not. Yeah, well, playing... we're we're on the same page. I am not okay. a fan of Trump by any stretch. Okay. Well, well, he's he's not playing a bad guy. He is one. He's a lifelong criminal. His father is a lifelong criminal, and he's always been a racist. And and and, and one of my guests on my show the other day was AOC is an anti semite. I said, what the fuck do you think Trump is? He invited Kanye West and this other little piece of shit douchebag. Tomorrow Lago. And then he acted like oh, the, he didn't the Fuentes know. kid. Yeah, like a straight up Fuentes, Nazi. Yeah, Fuentes, yeah, Fuentes. Who, yeah. who might be worse than Kanye if that's possible. He might be worse than Kanye. And that's not easy to do. So um no, when you when you're when you are a disgusting piece of shit, you don't get to play one on TV because that's who you are. You're not acting, you're just being who you are. A lot of people say that Bret Hart got over in the business when he started being more like himself instead of the characters they were trying to make him to be. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin enhanced uh, his gimmick. Uh, but they say when you take yourself, your own personality, and amp it up times 10, 
then that is a good wrestling character because that's easy to do. You just enhance yourself. I, I am probably amped up times 10 because in real life, I'm always trying to help somebody or feed the homeless or feed these Filipinos. You've done fans. a lot of good charity work. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and always have, uh, it, it never got made public till a few years ago when I needed help from the fans. Cause once the pandemic hit, it got a lot harder for me to do that by myself. My salary was cut in half. And uh, and it was more difficult to do that. And then I started getting uh, the assistance of rental assistance and electric assistance. And I always looked at it. Well, if I get rental assistance and electric assistance, I'm going to give these Filipino fans rental assistance and electrical assistance, not only through the money I'm saving, but with what we're, we're raising on my show. And uh, no, their electric bills aren't two hundred dollars a month. Their rent is not nine hundred dollars a month or fifteen hundred. But. There's people that have decent houses in the Philippines that pay 2,500 pesos a month. It's 50 bucks. I say decent, you know, at least it ain't a dirt floor. It's got a real roof, uh, not not a tin roof with a big gap. You can see that a fucking bird can fly in, you know. Um, I, I take that back. The nicer places are about 5,000 pesos a month, about 90 to $100 a month. Wouldn't you like to have your rent be $90 a month right now and live that in a nice, nice place? <laughs> Wouldn't it now? Wouldn't it now? So, so when we give rental assistance, uh, we paid a young lady's electric bill the other day and she was apologizing. It was so high. It was 1800 pesos, which is high for the Philippines. It's $35. She was apologizing. I said, Hey, when I start getting $35 electric bills, I'm going to be a happy guy. Uh, I haven't had any of those in a long time. So, uh, so that's the stuff we try to do. But of course the character that was on television would never do any of that. You know, I can't be going out talking about all the charity work I've done, the homeless I've fed, and the Filipinos that that, that we've saved over the past, since 2012. We fed over 3,000 kids ice cream cones. We fed, uh, over, I think, over 600 families, uh, many of them repeatedly uh, with bags of rice, eggs, milk, diapers for single moms, milk for single moms. Uh, we sent out three payments today to help some single moms. And uh, but that would not that story wouldn't go over well if I were still doing wrestling TV shows. Oh, Kenny's such a sweet guy. He does this. Can't do that. So you, we would totally have to hide that. But now that I'm not doing pro wrestling shows anymore, then we can be more open about who we are. But some people think that the podcast stories I tell, the stories that are in my book, and and the shit that me and Jimmy used to do on podcast is all real. Oh, well, Kenny's part of a meat scam. Well, was I? Could just be a story. The book does say the mostly true stories. You have to figure out which ones are true. And if it was a meat scam, was I just not being creative of taking advantage of somebody's warranty? Was it a crime? If he really did this for what five or six years, wouldn't somebody have locked him up if it was illegal? Wouldn't they? You would think. I sound like Tucker Carlson now. Uh, everything's a question. Did Joe Biden actually rape a woman in the White House? We don't know, but he's put it out there that he might have. So if you just do that shit all day, did did Donald Trump make love to a goat? We don't know, but we're going to look into it. So that's the whole Tucker Carlson show is accusations and insults. And we just don't know, but we're going to look into it. You think you've learned anything about uh, how politics works for being in the pro wrestling world, or I, I hope that doesn't come off as a dumb question, but uh, I think politics has learned how politics works through pro wrestling because they have learned about the base. Choco, stop it. Good God. This has been going on for seven years.
If it goes by, let them come in the house and then bark at them and bite them. Can you do that? Choco, you want to come here? No, no, she's, she's amped up today. She, she wants to bite somebody. Say, they go by that window. They got a lot of nerve walking by our window. They shouldn't do that. Um, but no, I think that politics has learned from wrestling that if you attach yourself to a base, that they won't leave you. And even though the Republican base is dwindling and dwindling due to stupidity, ridiculous accusations, and, and whataboutisms, that when people actually commit real crimes, they're worried, well, Hillary got by with this. Yeah, but your Republicans tried to lock her up for the better part of six years. They've been trying to lock Joe Biden up for God knows how long. Hunter Biden, who gives a fuck? He's, he's, he's his kid. He's not in politics. He's not, he doesn't have a job in the White House like Hillary, uh, not Hillary, but, uh, well, she did. But um, Ivanka and Jared, they had fucking jobs in the White House and walked away with $2 billion the week of January 6th from the Saudis. Why did the Saudis give them $2 billion? And then all of a sudden, Donald Trump has uh, classified documents that would heavily benefit the Saudi Arabians in their feud with Iran. Isn't that a fucking coincidence? I don't need a whole lot more. I don't think judges need a whole lot more. Circumstantial evidence? Yeah, Jared gets $2 billion, and now Trump will not turn back over the documents that reveal the weaknesses of, of, of Iran. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, yeah, they have learned about the base is what they've done. And I was going to go somewhere else with it. And if I think about it, I'll get to it. Um, God damn I was going to say real quick, if I could, I mean, one thing that I'm well, your show, is, you can uh, say whatever the hell you want. You know, when, when I hear someone like the, these scumbag guys, like, um, you know, Roger Stone, when Roger Stone oh. says, oh, these are the stone rules. And one of yeah. his big ones is deny, deny, deny. It's sort of exactly. like what you would see on old wrestling TV shows where Ric Flair would get his ass beat one week, and then the next week he would come on Deny TV and happened. say, oh, we beat Sting's ass, didn't Deny we? Deny it you know? happened. Well, that's right. almost a better comparison than what I gave because that's what Roger Stone was recorded admitting that they were going to do. Before the election, no, we won, motherfucker. Take it away from us. We won. Fuck you. That's exactly what he said. The election hadn't even happened yet. And they're already preparing for what they're going to say and do. And that is the heel way. No, he didn't beat me. I slipped on a banana peel. A goddamn piano fell out of an airplane. Did you see it? It landed right by round. I was distracted, man. Goddamn. I dove out there and saved that fan from dying from the piano. And then when I get back in, he pins me. Because I just saved one of the fans from a flying piano for crying out fucking loud. Or something similar to that. And uh, so, no, the heels always deny, deny, deny. It never happened. Well, that's what the Republicans have become. Deny, deny, deny. It didn't happen. We didn't lose. Oh, wait a minute. Too many black people voted. So let's throw out all the votes of Harris County and in, in Houston, Texas, because way too many black people voted and black people don't like us. Why? Because we have a tendency to have a very racist Republican Party who hates it when black people get a break. Why? Because they always vote against us. Well, why do they vote against us? Because we fuck over black people. No wonder they don't vote for you. Trump was bragging that one out of 12 black people voted for him. Oh, well, that means 11 out of 12 didn't. He was he, he was thrilled that one out of 12 voted for him. Okay, man, congratulations. You better pick up 10 out of 12 or you're fucked. So do you think when it comes to 
why people support Trump. It's obviously a lot of people are just drawn to his racism. I Do you just think thought I just thought of what I was going to tell you, and Neil okay, deGrasse okay. Tyson said it. Neil deGrasse Tyson said the Republicans cling to that Bible and Bible thump to all and and and, and draw themselves into the evangelicals for one reason is because evangelicals have already been preconditioned to believe the unbelievable. When you read the Bible and you hear the stories of the flaming bush and the parts of the ocean and shit turning to wine, all the shit that for whatever reason hasn't happened since, it only happened way back when, hasn't happened again ever. We're only going by what was written and has been reinterpreted a million times. But Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I'll repeat it again. Republicans cater to the Bible thumpers and the evangelicals because they've already been preconditioned to believe the unbelievable. And that's what Republicans do. They tell you an unbelievable story, disregard the facts that are in front of your face, disregard that Donald Trump has boxes of fucking classified documents stacked around a toilet. It ain't like he's reading any of them. I guess he's wiping his ass with them or he's selling them to those that can get him some good. He was bragging the other day that Nixon got $18 million for some of the shit he had in his possession. Well, he didn't get $18 million for shit that he illegally possessed. He got $18 million to his estate because of possessions that he had that he was entitled to have. He's not entitled to have any documents classified because everybody keeps, well, he declassified them in his mind. Well, no, you can't do that. There's a process, and everybody's admitted that. He admitted himself on an audio recording that, oh, this paper I'm waving around, I'd love to show it to you, but I can't because it's not declassified. I could have declassified it as president, but I can't declassify it no more. So he admitted himself he knew what the rules were, but stupid people, evangelicals, pardon me, but you're the ones that fucking encourage this shit. And you want to believe shit that somebody wrote in a book thousands and thousands of years ago. You don't even think the earth existed during the dinosaur ages, during the caveman ages, during the, uh, you don't think there was an earth 900 million years ago. You don't realize that the continent, that all the continents, the seven, seven continents used to be one place. You don't realize that 870 million years ago, something weird fucking happened that caused all the continents to separate. That's scientific. That's a scientific fact. It used to be one land, folks, but you see borders, you see walls, you see people of skin color that's different than yours, and you don't understand anybody that's any different than you. That is the problem with the evangelicals. It's all about white, it's all about race, and it's all about you're, you're taking over. Dark-skinned people are deciding the rules of the world, and we can't have that. Do you think another part of that, the reason that these people support MAGA is just beyond, you know, racism and things like that? Do you think there's also just a uh, cruelty for the sake of cruelty? Like almost like they yeah. want to root for the bad guy. They want to root for absolutely. the hill. Yeah, absolutely. Because because 70 percent of us, at least 68 percent of us know he's a piece of shit, know he's a criminal, know he's a child molester. He settled out of court, folks, with 12 kids. People tried to call me out on that. So there's no record of that. I said, there's no record of it because it's sealed documents. That's the that's the deal you make when you seal a document and you agree to a court case. That's the reason. But Anonymous found the documents, released it. And I just saw the list of all the kids named on Twitter not too long ago. 
that for people that were telling me, oh, well, that's not true. We can't find any record of it. Well, Anonymous did find the records. They not only released the records, they released the names of the families that settled out of court for these 12 kids, boys and girls alike. One child came up with a fabricated story. Okay. Two children came up with a fabricated story. Well, I don't know. There's two of them. If two kids said I did something, I think I'd be in deep shit. But all right. 12, name me the human being. Name me the family member you got that 12 kids can accuse you of sexual misconduct, rape, molestation, fondling, whatever uh, that particular family accused him of, that he had to pay them a settlement to get them to go away. Which shame on the parents, because they shouldn't have done it. They should have put this asshole away in the 70s, and we wouldn't be worrying about this shit right now, because he'd still be in jail. Any other human would be. But uh, the justice system's not fair, because the more money you got, the more you can buy yourself out of trouble. No other human being could commit the crimes that Donald Trump has committed and still be walking the face of the earth. Not even because of his own money, but because of his father's money that he pissed away and blew all because he didn't know how to invest it and know how to manage a fucking casino. How do you bankrupt a casino? Well, Trump showed us he knew how to do it. All the other shit he's bankrupted. Charity fraud through Trump University. Tax fraud, which he's, is now under investigation in New York. Countless fucking tax fraud. He has cheated at every fucking thing he's ever done. He's been a criminal his entire life. And you want to root for the guy as an evangelical. It's bad enough other stupid people do it. But evangelicals root for this guy, which tells me what a piece of shit you are. And that's why I'm an atheist. Because I'm out here trying to fucking feed hungry people, and you're trying to free a criminal who you know is a criminal, but you don't care because he says the shit you want to hear. He doesn't even help you. Now, I get why billionaires back him, because they're the ones that buy his vote for him to change the tax laws that should have been reversed the first day Joe Biden was in office. That shit should have been reversed. The fact that I got to pay 40% tax on a bonus check from, from Humana when I was working there. And we don't have any of our top companies either paying any taxes or barely 5% if they're paying that much. I got to pay 40%, but Amazon don't, don't pay jack shit. FedEx don't pay jack shit hardly. Uh, Bezos probably doesn't pay a whole hell of a lot. And, and he's a Democrat. So fuck all that. Uh, yeah, that's one thing I, I really hate about Trump. I know Trump has said in the past, uh, you know, well, I didn't really get that much money from my father. It was only a million or a couple million. And I'm like, there's people that don't even get that much, dude. Like, only, you, you had, he had a head start. Uh, let's put it this way. When he got the couple of million or whatever it was, uh, I, I don't know the exact amount. It, it was a few million. Uh, it, this was in the 70s, folks. This was in the 70s. If you gave me $1 million today, I'm 63. If I live to be 93, I'm going to be just fucking fine because I don't have to make much of an investment with it because I know the bank account I can put it in and earn a shitload of fucking... I could live off the interest of $2 million. I wouldn't even have to touch the $2 million. I could live off the interest. Today, 2023, not 1973. This was about 73 that he was handed two or three million dollars. It might even been more because Fred Trump was worth a lot of money because he was a he was a landlord scumbag. They've been recorded saying that they didn't want black people in their housing and tried to force them out. It, it's 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 a fact. It's documented. Um, Donald Trump was recorded saying that he did not want Jews. No, nobody but Jews touching his money. No, no, no. 
Yeah, it was only he only wanted Jews touching his money. He didn't want black people touching his money or something similar to that. But he had a he had a a group of people that he did not want to touch or count his money. Black people were included. So when I see black people supporting Donald Trump, what's he got to say about you before you leave? What do you evangelicals have to see? He's been married three times. Y'all supposedly don't even care for that. He he's cheated on all three wives. I, I was he, gonna say, even with you know, I knew people in the Rust Belt that voted for Trump, and I was like, why? He ain't gonna do anything for you. It, I mean, there's a lot of communities that are well, hurting right I now. He ain't get, doing anything for it. That's what I tried to get one of my fans to tell me had on show the other day. He said, I love Trump's policies. I said, What did he do for you? Name me what he did that benefited you. Because you're not a billionaire. You're telling me you can't afford to put your nephews through college. He didn't do jack shit for you. So what is it that he did that you benefited from? Well, he he strengthened the border wall. Okay, let's say he did. What did that do for you? You live in fucking San Francisco. What did strengthening a border wall in Texas, if he did, but he didn't, what did that do for you? And now he's made it very difficult that we get foreign labor to help do the jobs that you lazy white fucks don't want to do. I would be one of those lazy white fucks. I don't want to go to a field and pick fruit all day. I don't want to pick cotton all day. I don't want to pick any fucking thing all day. And I love bananas. But guess what? I don't want to pick bananas all day. So you have a group of people very happy to come here and do that work for the minimal price. But we have people that bring them over here illegally, have them work, pay them a third of what a minimum wage should be. And they're still happy to get it because it's more than they're getting in Mexico or Colombia or Guatemala or wherever the fuck they're coming from. And the Philippines is much the same boat. We send over tons of businesses to the Philippines because we can hire people over there to work for $300 a month if they're lucky and be goddamn happy they got it because they're among the highest paid people in the Philippines that aren't already over there rich like the Chinese and the Americans and and the Indians uh, from India, not Cherokee tribe in Montana somewhere. So uh, that is your severe problem is that they think he's doing something for them, but it turns out he only actually built three and a half miles of wall that was not already approved by the Obama administration. Not, not just that, but he's all, he also did things like rolling back the EPA. And what does that do? That leads to like, that, oh, that we're did, corporations. That didn't help we anybody can... either. Well, and that, not that, only that, does that it not help people. Train, and that led to this train shit in Ohio that's happened. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's like you, you roll back the EPA and then you have corporations dumping toxic waste in West Virginia and all these other you. places. Yeah, not too far from you. We were concerned about it here in Louisville because of it getting in the water and coming here. I had to go out and buy fucking new water filters in case we had to start filtering our water here in Louisville. And I, I do it anyway, because just to be on the safe side, because just because it looks good doesn't mean it is. <laughs> so I run my water through a filter every day, even for my dogs, because um, I didn't want them drinking the shit either because uh, of what might be coming down the river. Uh, is it over? Is it over? Uh, well, it cost me $35 for the filter and it lasts quite a while. So if I if thirty five dollars keeps my water safe, then what the hell? Probably should have been using it anyway. So I don't know. Well, buddy, I think we gave you quite I, a bit of time. I, I want to close uh, out. There was one thing I no, wanted to well, ask whatever you. you. Whatever you want. I've had a good time with you. The, I, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you is when it comes to people in the world of wrestling, what are the politics like? Because sometimes I get the impression when these people like uh, Chris Jericho are running around being Trumpists, or you mentioned Kane, like is that the norm, or is that 
Well, Big Cass was also another horrible one. That, he was uh, a Big Mac guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. And uh, now where Enzo Amari was on that, I don't know. He had enough of his own problems. But I was told that Big Cass was kicked off the bus by Daniel Bryan and others who did not want to hear his shit. But Jerry Lawler, who's proud to be posing in pictures with Donald Trump, would book Big Cass on shows even recently. And now he's down in, uh, in uh, not it not NXT, but uh, AEW. So they got big cast there. He's useless. I mean, he's never going to sell a fucking ticket for wrestling. Nobody gives a shit about him. He's fucking horrible to be that big and to have that good of a look. He's fucking horrible. And uh, But on top of that, he's a Trump supporter. Uh, Jericho, I was told, because Jericho seems to be a decent guy. He and I are still friends to this day. But I was told that Jericho donated on behalf of his wife. Now, I don't know anything about his wife, never met her. I've never even seen a picture of her. I can't tell you anything. That's what I was told. If Jericho thought that Trump needed $75,000 of his money, Kane apparently thought the multi-billionaire needed $75,000. When, when you could actually fed a shitload of fucking people for $75,000, but no, you give it to a billionaire so he can try to stay in power. I got an issue with that. You know, what are you doing? You think he's a billionaire. You blow this guy because he tells you how rich he is. Why would you give him? You're not a billionaire, Chris Jericho. You're not a billionaire, Kane. So why would you give $75,000 of hard-earned money? Many wrestlers in the business, I hear there's some on the WWE roster now that struggle to make a hundred grand. Not everybody. The big stars are getting paid, but not everybody on the roster is getting that. So you donate a year's salary in some of these cases to a guy that you think in your head is a multi-billionaire who originally said, I will not accept $1 of campaign money. And that didn't last two weeks that he was campaigning. And he campaigns off every fucking thing. Every disaster he goes through. Oh, help me. Oh, I'm being persecuted. I have no money. He doesn't tell you that, but he, in, in a way he is. He doesn't have any of his own real money. Everything he's got, he stole from stupid people. And you stupid people keep giving him the fucking money. You ought to be a fucking shame to yourselves. To think how many people you could feed for seventy-five dollars or $100,000. Poor people that actually need your help. But you hand it over so this dumb fuck criminal can stay in power. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Kane, you especially. You blow Trump on a daily basis these days. And I knew you and you were a good guy. You and I were friends. You were a good man. What the fuck happened to you that you would blow this bitch, hand him your hard-earned money, when you can't tell me there's 75 families in Knoxville that wouldn't have took great help and you handing them $1,000 to make their life a little easier? Wouldn't you feel a lot better that you helped 75 families? Assuming 75,000 is all you donated. That's what I heard. And I watch you blow him on fucking Twitter every day. Shame on you because you're a better man. You were, you were a better man than that, but maybe to be in power, like all these other dumb fuck Republicans, you blow the motherfucker as much as you can because you get that base vote. And what is Knoxville full of racist motherfuckers? I used to work in Knoxville. I know your, I know your, your uh, population very well. So you have figured out that if you blow Donald Trump, and send him a little money that you owe. Oh, the base will come gravitating to you and put you in office. You're the mayor of Knox County, I think it is. Not even Knoxville. Shame on you. 
I would have rather seen you help 75 families and hand them a thousand bucks to make their life a little easier. Give them a month or two's free rent. Just give them a break. Give them a fighting fucking chance. But no, you hand it to this fucking criminal who, who very well, maybe even with a crooked judge that they've got down there now, even a crooked judge knows they're in deep shit. If they give him a pass on what he's done, Bill Barr will tell you that. And he's the most crooked attorney general we've ever had. And he told you he's in deep shit and he's fucked. So shame on you. And why Jericho did it. I heard he did it on behalf of his wife. I like Jericho. I'm disappointed he donated any money to that campaign, but I'm what? disappointed in anybody that hands money to somebody they think's a billionaire when they're starving people in this country that could use their help. I, I wasn't asking, like, I wasn't trying to ask about particular people, but I, I guess I, well, I know I people just think, two of them. well, I, I guess is wrestling Magaland or or a lot of wrestlers just not wrestling is a lot of Magaland. That's one reason okay. my podcast doesn't get as many views as it used to. I used to get God. We used to get five to ten thousand views in in a thirty day period, even on fucking Facebook. Uh, now Facebook, I'm lucky to get a hundred, hundred and fifty views. YouTube, we average five hundred to a thousand, give or take, uh, because it's Magaland. I would say 70% of wrestling fans are Trump supporters because they saw him on television once. Oh, he's one. He, he's a bad guy. We, we, he's standing, he's standing up to those, to those libtards. And I, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think 70% of wrestling fans are MAGA. Yeah. And why? Dumb fucks preconditioned to believe the unbelievable, just like fucking the Bible. That's why you're no better than the Bible thumpers because you I, want I was to gonna, believe the shit you see is real and it's not. All right. I, I was going to say in, in, in closing note here, uh, you've mentioned the Bible thumpers. Every time I've seen televangelists on TV, and I'm you thinking might be myself, a Bible thumper for all I know, but I know you're not stupid enough to think that Trump deserves to be oh, no, 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 but, when starving people don't. I, I, I'm not I'm not a, a religious person, but I've always found it funny when I see these holy rulers on TV. I think to myself, how do they carny all these people? Do me a favor. Have you ever watched the Righteous Gemstones? No, I haven't. All right. Well, you're going to now because John Goodman's the star of it. And do you, did you ever watch Justified? I've seen Justified. Yeah, yeah. Justified is one of my. Fa- I, I rewatch it twice a year, every year, sometimes three times. I'm now on season three, episode five, probably for the third time. In, in the last 12 months uh bill uh 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 shit who who was uh raylan's uh nemesis boyd crowder boyd crowder was his nemesis unjustified he is also in the righteous gemstones they all play crooked ass televangelists that tells you how the 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 crooked evangelical system works all the cash they steal all the fucking stories they tell how horrible of people they really are this is the Righteous Gemstones. It's been on HBO, I think. Season three starts on June the 18th, also the same time that The Walking Dead spin off with Negan and Maggie, Dead City, based in Manhattan. That ought to be some fun. I've seen zombies on zip lines, folks. Zombies on zip lines. You can't go wrong with that. Well, so you I'll sold me on John Goodman for this Righteous John, Gemstones. John Goodman <laughs> is just such a fine. And he's the main character. He's the main evangelical. And what is just start with season one and just go. I promise you, you will be hooked. And it will tell you how the evangelical televangelists work. 
not that all Bible thumpers are crooked fucks, and uh, but but a lot of but if you're a but if you're a televangelist, you're a crooked fuck. I'm going to say that right. That goes for all. my my father, the guy that used to be the leader of the KKK in Norfolk, Virginia. My biological father used to paint Pat Robertson's house. He told me horror stories about fucking Pat Robertson about how he loved taking advantage of stupid people. How he had 700 pair. He, he was basically the Amanda Marcos of of, uh, of Virginia, of Lynchburg, Virginia. He had 700 pairs of shoes, and he would brag to my father that not one of them cost less than $400 a pair. This was in the late 70s. The late 70s, 700, and, and a fucking mansion that dad said would take him fucking months to get everything painted inside and out. Bought for by stupid people. And that was basically out of Pat Robertson's own mouth, is that once they believe, you've got them. And it's it's the same with the, with the Republican Party. Once they believe, you got them because they will not accept the truth. No facts will ever cover up the story, and that's how they get you. And uh, I have I've been against organized religion since at least age eleven. I have never stood up for a flag. I've never stood up for a Bible. I've never worshipped a man flag or symbol, um, other than than George Carlin. <laughs> so. Well, amen to that. George amen to George Carlin. George Carlin's story made sense to me, and evangelicals did not. That's why I got a lot of my religious belief, well, lack of, through George Carlin, because his story made sense, and the evangelical story did not. It just fucking didn't add up. Think of all the shit, all the weird shit that happened way back when and way back yonder. And think that you don't know anybody in your family that ever saw any of this shit happen and then wonder why. So wonder if somebody made it up. You you dropped a bombshell there, I think, for some of my listeners when you mentioned um your dad being a KKK guy. What was that? Well, it's not a bombshell for any of my listeners because I've talked about it quite a bit. No, my I never met my biological father till I was 19. I go to Norfolk, Virginia to meet him on Windfall Drive, the house that he had at that time. And he wanted to take me to a Freemasons meeting and for a blood drive. And it was Father Sunday. And he says, I'm so glad you're here. I've never been able to take my son to one of these. And uh, would you do me the honor of going with me? Well, I don't know what the fucking Freemasons are. Yeah, yeah, I'm 19. Fuck, I'm graduating high school. I'm about to start the workforce. Not going to college. Had no desire to go. I wanted to work and make money and eventually get in the wrestling business. That was my plan. And um, my dad took me to the Norfolk Scope to see Ric Flair. I sat in the third row with Lou Thez, who was there as a fan that night. Oh, what a legend. Yeah. Yes. And sitting in the sitting in the third row with me, he, he can't believe I know who he is because he's just, you know, in a checkered shirt and blue jeans or whatever the fuck he's in. And um, we're in the third row. I look to the right of me and I'll, I'll get to the Freemason story in a minute. If, if not, remind me. And I look to the right of me and I see Luthez. Well, I know who Luthez is. He's been on Memphis TV several times. And I look to the right of me and, and I've got Cornette's picture book with me. Cornette's a photographer in 1979. Has been since probably 75, maybe even 70, 75 at least, 76. So I'm flipping through this book with all these great pictures of Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, Joe LaDuke, uh, Handsome Jimmy Viant, David Schultz. Um, God, you name it. Whoever came through Memphis, I had pictures of them. So I'm flipping through the book, showing my dad who's famous in Memphis. To the right of me, there's Luthes. And I look, I said, I said, sir, I said, pardon me. I said, but aren't you Luthes? He said, yes, sir. 
I said, pardon me, but why are you here in the third row with me? He said, same reason you are. He says, I, I bet you're here to see Ric Flair. I said, yeah, Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat tonight. I've never got to see them live, and my father got me tickets to see it. Well, I'm here for the same reason you are. I'm here to see Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. He's what's that picture book you got? I said, well, my friend's a photographer in Louisville. And I said, he's about the same age I am, and he took all these pictures. So I hand him the book. He's a man, those are some great pictures. So I told Jimmy, and he almost couldn't believe the story. I said, Lou Fez was flipping through my picture book with all your pictures in it. And he told me to tell you how great your pictures are. And he just thought that was the greatest compliment he'd ever got, that Lou Fez loved his pictures. Nicest fucking man you ever want to meet. At least he was that night. I don't know his history. I don't know what he's about. But that night, he was very nice and very kind to me. So later, after we've done this, he wants me to go to the Freemasons meeting. Right, right. I was there. I was there. I was there for like three months. And I said, "Yeah." I said, "I don't know anything about the Masons." He said, "What's it's a club I belong to." I said, "Okay." Said we're doing a blood drive, and they have a father son blood drive, and we have big big meals there and everything. And I'd be so honored if you'd come with me. So I go, and on the way, he's explaining to me what the Freemasons are. And he says that basically they replaced the KKK that he used to be the leader of. I said, really? Now, I've got tons of black friends in LaGrange. My best friend is named Adrian Reynolds, who was killed in a Louisville jail by the Louisville Police Department. And Bill Clinton, on a trip to Louisville, held a picture of Adrian Reynolds' picture over his head and wanted to get justice for Adrian Reynolds over what those Louisville police officers did to Adrian. Adrian was my childhood best friend who used to hang out with me on Main Street all the time. And and he had he had a checkered past. Once he and I separated and I got in the workforce, especially when I got in sales and marketing, he kind of got involved in drugs and dealing and all that shit. And, and, and he led a bad life. Did he deserve to be beaten the fucking death over it? No. Uh, but that's what happened. And he, he had a mouth on him. And uh, he was one of those that had the alligator mouth and a hummingbird in. He wasn't very big. But he wouldn't take shit off nobody either. He Even him and Cornette had some spats. Jimmy Cornette called him a name once that I still have not forgiven Jimmy for calling him. You can only imagine. And um, so Bill Clinton holds Adrian's picture up over his head. And, and people used to give me shit because even when I was as famous as I was going to get on OVW television, they said, Kenny, no matter how famous you get, Adrian Reynolds is always going to be more famous than you. Uh, he said, Bill Clinton is never going to hold your picture up over his head. I said, yeah. And you know why Bill held Adrian's picture over his head. And I'm not going to trade places with Adrian. I'm not going to have the little police department kill me so that Bill Clinton can hold my picture over his head. Plus I'm a white guy and he wouldn't do it anyway. I said, he was trying to defend the black man who was murdered by three racist white cops in the Louisville police department. So no, that's okay. Adrian can have the title. I will take second place as most famous person in LaGrange. I gladly will take that title. So we go to the, so as we're going there, he's explained to me that the Freemasons basically took the place of the KKK. I said, really? I said, I've heard of the Freemasons, but I don't know anything about them. I said, so how did y'all just change the name and, and get by with that? And he says, well, what we've done, we've outsmarted everybody. What we do is that we pay a black man very well to be the doorman. He's not allowed to be a part of our shit or be a part of what we do, but the black man's the doorman and we pay him well. Yeah. And that does what? He says, well, he can't call us racist because we have a black doorman. Oh, really? So I already had a bad taste in my mouth of what he says. So I go to the goddamn thing and I give my blood and all that shit. So then that leads to where 2007 has rolled around. 
I did go to North Carolina uh, to a lake. Uh, he, he had a property on a man-made lake in North Carolina. I went and visited him for a couple of weeks, met some more of his racist friends that worked in D.C., shockingly. And uh, and they wanted to know why I didn't like guns. They always go out to the shooting range and they would shoot shit and everything. And and I'm I'm at that time, I'm probably six foot one, 275 pounds, an athlete from hell. I can run like the fucking wind. I can play baseball, basketball, football. I was very good at all three. You tell them, doggies. And um, and plus, I'm and I'm uh, doing good. And I am um, getting ready to to get. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I've just gotten into the wrestling business in uh, with Nick Gulas in Nashville. Christopher's a year old, so I've only been in the business a year, maybe two years. And, uh, so six, one, two seventy seven. but I'm a manager. I'm, I'm not an active wrestler, but I, I felt very confident I could be. And as an amateur, I was 212 and oh, no one ever come close to beating me, but I still did not want to be a pro wrestler. I wanted to be a manager. I, I, I thought I could talk better and not have to take as many bumps. So all of his gun buddies are wondering why I'm not taking, per, uh, participating in the shooting and all that. And why I don't own a gun. And these are these fucking gun nuts that, that you can picture in Virginia and North Carolina. And my dad looked at him. They said, look at him. Does he look like he needs a gun? He'll just kill you with his fucking bare hands. And I looked at him as there's not a one of you here that even with your gun can take me. And <laughs> I think my son ended up stealing that line from me later. And uh, I said, no, of course, if you shoot me, you're going to get the guys. But there ain't a fucking one of you here I can't whip. And I didn't know if they could fight or not. I was just talking shit. And none of them took me up on it. So, uh, but th that was just the people he hung with. And that was the people he associated with. And then when he saw me in a wrestling magazine in 2007, he calls my home on Dogwood Drive in Louisville, Kentucky. And he, and, he, and he talked like a Southern general. He sounded like General Sherman or something that you might see on an episode of uh, the, the, the Rifleman. And he says, Kenny. He says, uh, I, I just uh, bought a, I just bought a magazine that had a picture of you on it. And, uh, and there's a story about you in there as well. I said, yeah. I said, what magazine did you, cause I had not seen it yet. And, uh, he tells me about the magazine. He says, but the, the, the there's a problem, son. I said, yeah, what's the problem? He says, well, there's a picture, a big spread. You open the thing and you're on two pages and it's a picture of you with, with two black girls. Only he didn't call them two black girls. And I said, well, dad, I said, we don't really call them that down here. He said, well, what do you call them? I said, well, we call them girls. We call them girls. We don't even go as far as black girls, dad. We, we just call them girls. He had called them the N-word. And uh, he said, well, I just want you to know that you brought great shame to this family, being seen in that magazine, looking like you were happy to be with those girls. And I said, well, dad, I'm going to solve that for you very easily. You can now, from this day forward, no longer consider me a part of the family. I went 19 years without him anyway. I only saw him two or three times after that, so I didn't give a fuck. And uh, I said, so I'll just make it very easy for you. And I said, and as a matter of fact, see if you can get a refund on your magazine and fuck any of you that didn't like that I was standing with those girls. So I hung up on him, and I never heard from him again. My sisters are still trying to this day to find out why I quit speaking to him. He's 84 years old now has glaucoma. He's legally blind. He's still alive, still doing well from what I'm told. I have no desire to speak to him, no desire to see him, but my sister, Stacy, hope you hope she's not watching the show. My sister, Stacy, my half sister, doggies. <laughs> Good God. Those shows with me yelling at the dogs. And, um, 
she uh, she says, why why don't you why do you not talk to dad anymore? I said, and we're typing back and forth. That's why well, I'm not going to type this shit to you. I said, if you really want to know, you got to call me. And she keeps begging me to type it to her. I said, no, I'm not going to type it. If you really want to know why dad and I don't speak, I said, it's you, uh, you can lay the blame on me if you want. I'm the one that made the decision. I said, but give me a call and I'm going to tell you a lengthy story as to why he and I don't speak. And she kept saying she would, but she never did. And I never have told her and that that she's been begging me to type it to her for a fucking year. Cause I don't think she really wants to hear it. And she probably has her suspicions. Uh, I have told the story on many podcasts and I know they track what I do. So she's probably heard the story. She just wants to know if I will confirm it with her or whether I'm just making up shit. And I said, well, I don't know why you'd make something like that up, but. Uh, you, uh, out of curiosity with the Freemason thing, do you think he was blowing smoke there a little bit? Because uh, I, I, the reason I ask is I've known people that are Masons that I would say are not. I mean, I've known black people that are Masons. Do you think he was just part of a specific lodge or? Well, it could smoke? very well be a specific lodge because uh, Aaron the Idol Stevens tried to tell me the same thing because he was a member of the Freemasons here in Louisville. But I do know people in the Freemasons in Louisville that feel the way my dad did. Now, whether or not that's what the organization promotes, I don't know. But then again, this is 1979 Norfolk, Virginia Freemasons. Maybe that particular group was more like that. But I challenge you to go to any Freemasons anywhere in the country and look around and do a head count because the population of the United States is 12% black. I dare you to find me 12% black at a Freemason's man. I'm not going to say you ain't going to find one or two. Now, I'm not going to say the doorman might not be black. But I dare you to find me 12 because uh, any of these clubs and organizations should be a populational mix of what we are. And it shouldn't be 88. In this day and age, it still shouldn't be 88% white, 12% black because we have Latinas, Asians of all different kinds and descents. Um you won't find that mix. And I assure you, you're not going to find 12% black people at any of them, even the ones that you know. Call me out on it. Go take a head count. Let me know what you come up with. You're not going to find 12%. Well, we've got because on. you ha- Because you have the Tim Scotts of South Carolina that once you get accepted into the club, you don't see racism anymore. He, he tried. Tim Scott tried to tell us there's no racism in America no more. You're an ignorant motherfucker, Tim Scott. And I'll tell you that to your face if I ever get the opportunity, which I hope I don't, because that means I had to see your ass. Uh, but no, there are there are people that get into the club and they ignore because they're they're part of the club now. See, I was raised in all this shit. I was raised by some of the most racist motherfuckers you'll ever know. And I turned on them at about age 11 that I no longer wanted to be a part of that shit. Somebody moved into the neighborhood. The property value went down. I said, our property wasn't more shit anyway. We live in a shit neighborhood. What are they going to do? That They can only raise our property value. What are you talking about? But because they have dark skin, you have prejudged them before they've even unpacked their fucking truck. You saw two black people get out of a truck, start moving their shit in, and now you're panicking. You don't even know these fucking people. So, And that was me at age 11 and 12, shitting on family members. That would that, that just did not like you. Hi, Choco. Come here. Come on up. Come on. There you go. There, Choco. Choco finally made an appearance. Is she a little Choco? Aww. She's a little baby. She's a little baby pit. She is 10 years old. Scooby's three. Come here, Scooby. You can come up. Come here, Scooby. 
Come on, come on. Make it a dog show. Scooby is three and a half. Choco will be 11 on March 16th on my birthday and my son's birthday. And Tucal was actually born on Jimmy Cornette's birthday, September 17th. We changed his birthday to the 16th, 16th so he didn't have to share that birthday. Uh, but Tucal will be 10 years old on September 17th. So not all that far away. Right, Scooby? Now, Keese, where are my keys? So, Do I get keys today? He big boy. He big boy. Kenny, I, I want to let you get going, but out of curiosity, oh, how, how did you, you escape? Had, you had the, me here for two fucking hours for crying out I did, Well, how did you escape the racism then? Uh, walked away from it and stood up against it. And in LaGrange, black people were invited to my home, even though my mother didn't totally agree. I had to evolve her. And uh, what, what do they call it when you get radicalized? I guess I de-radicalized her over time. Uh, but what was weird is that my dad had a dear friend named Les that he worked with at Southern State. My stepdad, not not my boss, because that was a pretty racist family, too. And my stepdad had a friend named Les, uh, who he claimed was a dear friend, worked with him at Southern States, which was a feed store. And his wife, I can't remember the wife's name, but she worked for the courthouse, was a very nice lady. And we moved to the same street they lived on. We moved to Axton Lane. And Les and his wife lived about five houses down from us. And I suggested to dad, I'm about 12 or 13 years old. And Johnny was the, the one I called dad because he raised me since I was two. And I said, dad, I said, I said, why don't we ever go see Les and, and his wife at their house? Or why don't we invite them to dinner at our house? Oh, we can't do that, son. I said, why is that? Well, we can't be seen going into black people's homes. I said, why? Because I wanted to hear his answer. Oh, my God. He says, God, the rest of the family never speak to us. So <laughs> that was my opinion even then. I said, well, why don't we invite them here? Well, they can't be seen coming in our house either. But you claim you're his friend. Oh, me, me and Lester are dear friends. I said, I, and even then, I don't think so. Because a friend would not do that. So I knew then, you know, what the shit was. And I stood up to everybody that, that ever talked that shit. Uh, and when Jimmy would say racist shit, which he has done on podcasts, which he has done on wrestling shows, he's not welcome on any wrestling show anymore because of that racist homophobic mouth of his. And, um, sometimes you are who you are. Sometimes you look out for family. Sometimes you make excuses for family. And that's what Jimmy was. Jimmy was family. My stepfather. I mean, I was, I was raised with that shit. I mean, I, and basically since then I've had basically turn on almost everybody. Uh, because if that's who you are, I don't want to be around you. And I'm perfectly happy not being around you. So that's just the decisions I've made. Well, this closed is out, closed out on a high note, didn't we? <laughs> this has been a hell of a conversation. Yeah, Love to have been. you back on at some point. Uh, no, I'll how never how can back. my listeners keep up with, uh, <laughs> you know, what you're doing at, at the Bullen Alley? Uh, well, every Tuesday night and Thursday night, for the most part, all of our shows are uh, 9.05 p.m. Eastern. We made exceptions for Mr. John Cena Sr. the other day. We had him on an hour early, and he updates us on what's going on in the Cena family. He's been on three or four times. Uh, God, our shows go three hours when I have John Cena Sr. on. So He was a wrestler too, wasn't he? I, I'm very adapted to long shows. No, he was mainly a wrestling manager. Mainly okay. a wrestling manager. And uh, But uh, we had a show recently. If you get a chance, check it out. Uh, very, uh, He is a uh, very religious man, but yet we still get along. And uh, he is a justice of the peace. And he he mar he's always marrying somebody. Every weekend, he's marrying somebody. Up in, and he lives up in the Boston area. 
And uh, but we get along very good, even though politically we probably disagree a little bit. Uh, but morally, we get along very good. And that's the important part. He, he's got a good heart and he's not your typical evangelical, even though he's very religious. My ex-wife is very religious and loves him. Uh, my ex-wife's had dinner with him two or three times and I haven't had dinner with him yet because she goes to Boston a lot to visit her family. And when they go, they meet Mr. Cena for dinner and Chris and my ex-wife go have dinner with uh, John Cena Sr. at a, a restaurant called Kowloon's that's very popular in that area. It's about 45 minutes outside of Boston and uh, a good man. And he calls me family and uh, you can't beat that. And he's considered family with us as well. So check out that show. It's a long show. You'll have to watch it in segments probably it's about a three-hour show and then the show he did before that was three hours so we got a couple of we got about six hours of content out there just out of the last two shows alone but i think you'll enjoy them even my co-host says i don't re-watch our shows very often but i have re-watched uh, the one with you and uh, mr cena uh, several times do, you, do you have a patreon or anything that my listeners can support i have with? i have a patreon i'll be goddamn if i can think to give it the, the, the way you can support my show the best is if you want to donate to help feed our filipino families you can donate to Ken. It's very easy. There's two two addresses. Uh, we started out using Kenny Bolin at MSN.com because that's the one everybody knew was my PayPal address. And then PayPal themselves actually encouraged me and came up with the address, Food for Filipinos, Food for Filipinos, uh, make sure you spell it correctly, at gmail.com. If you watch my show, we put the four ways to donate at the bottom of the screen. There's Kenny Bolin, K-E-N-N-Y-B-O-L-I-N at MSN.com foodforfilipinos at gmail.com. Those are the two PayPal addresses. Uh, Cash app is dollar sign star maker Bowen. Uh, Venmo is Kenny dash Bowen dash one. Kenny dash Bowen dash one. But you can just watch my show and then all the ways to donate are posted live on the show. And um, if you write my inbox and you just want to know how to do it, you can write my inbox at Twitter at StarMakerBolin. Facebook is forward slash StarMakerBolin. You can write my inbox on any of that stuff through Facebook Messenger. And if you would uh, like to watch the show, get a link to the show. But the the best way to watch the show is www.youtube.com forward slash the Bolin Alley. B-O-L-I-N, not B-O-W-L-I-N-G the Bolin alley or just do a youtube search or a google search and you will easily find us we've had eric bischoff on uh not all that long ago john cena senior gene snitsky and mike mondo coming up uh, tomorrow night uh if this show airs tonight you can tune in to tuesday night 9 5 p.m and uh but to comment and participate on the show you have to have a membership uh through youtube you can get a membership we do 12 live shows a month on average and um where else are you going to get 12 live interactive shows uh, to where we answer any and all of your questions? And as long as you act like you got a half a brain and are not trying to insult me or the other people in the show, if you have legit questions, we don't block you. But if you act a fucking fool and start talking shit, then I don't care what you donate, you'll go away. So that's why we make it members only. Most of the members are smart enough not to be stupid fucks. So there we go. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kenny Starmaker Bolin. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. 
One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And with that being said, until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like great. So you know we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.